don't have them open by now, go ahead and make your way to Psalm 9, if you would, please. As you do that, let me just highlight a point that many studies have been conducted to determine the power that praise has on people's lives. Not surprisingly, positive words and words of praise have been proven to have a great impact on individuals in their, in their homes, and in, the, in school, or in the workplace. Some studies have produced some conflicting information. There have been studies that have revealed that too much praise can actually do harm. Too much praise can produce arrogance and laziness in other people. Some years ago, ABC News, they ran a story called Too Much Praise Can Turn Your Kids Into Narcissistic Jerks. It was Psychology Today that released the report and they called it Parenting, uh, Don't Praise Your Children. And in that uh, report, they said that research has found that Students who were lavished with praise were more cautious in their response to questions. They had less confidence in their answers. They were less persistent in difficult assignments and less willing to share their ideas with others. So while we cannot be certain on uh, how far is too far, while, while studies might conflict with the power of praise in individual lives. Uh, praise is good, but when do you cross the line between the appropriate amount of praise and, and too much praise? So while there might be confusion around that issue, there is no question about the power that comes in praising our Lord. You see, previous psalms have showed us that, that there's power that is found in pouring out our hearts to God in prayer. And Psalm 9 teaches us that there is power to be found in pouring out our praise unto God in worship. Now, in, in this psalm, David is seen erupting with wholehearted praise unto God. And even so, it's in the midst of extreme hardship and difficulty in his life. With that in mind, I should point out that the specific occasion for this particular psalm is really not known. Uh, some scholars uh, believe that this was written in response to Absalom's death. Hebrew tradition and other scholars would claim that this psalm was written as a song of celebrating the fact of uh, Goliath being slain. You see, by passionately praising God at a very difficult time in his life, David provides for us a powerful example for us to follow. You see, with his enemies in full pursuit of him, with his circumstances in great desperation, so much so that by the time we get to verse number 13, he, he really feels that as though he's at death's door. But, but even in the midst of all of this, David focuses his mind, not upon his problems, not upon his circumstance, but upon God. And when he focuses on God instead of his problems, then his heart overflows with praise. And in doing so, he, he gives us a tremendous example for us to follow. No matter what lies ahead of us, some of us are in a dark place even now. 
Some of us are going to face great hardships over the course of this year. But may we know, like, like David gives us the example, may we know that in the midst of it all, to keep our hearts, our minds, our focus upon God. Take our eyes off of our problems and fix them on our Lord. Ultimately, we see the very purpose of this psalm is the fact in knowing that this is a song of praise unto God. And so let's begin with verse 1. It says, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. So the Hebrews, uh, they viewed the heart as the, the seat of thought. Uh, the heart represented the center of everything. So much so that in Proverbs chapter 4, you'll read that says, uh, above all else, guard and protect your heart, for it affects everything that you do. So everything that you do springs forth as the overflow of our heart. And so David is fully engaged with his heart in worship, with his mind in worship. In other words, he wasn't casual about worship. He wasn't flippant when it came to the idea of worship. He, he didn't worship irreverently. No, David was all in. And he goes on to say, I will tell of all your wonders. You see, when troubles surround us, we would be wise to take time to reflect on all that God has done for us in our past. Every one of us can reflect on our own personal history. And we can reflect and testify that there are times that, that God proved Himself to be so faithful in our lives. We can also, in addition to our personal testimonies, we can turn to the Word of God. And turning to the Scriptures, we can read time and time again how God has responded and helped His people in times of great need. We open our Bibles and we can behold some amazing truths to give us great encouragement. We read verses like in Psalm 119, verse number 18, that beautifully proclaims, Open my eyes, that I may behold wonderful things from your law. You see, these wonderful things that we discover from the Word of God, these are the things that we ought to be sharing with other people. And so I'll give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. And then he says in verse number 2, I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Although David was in great danger, he was determined to praise God. One might ask the question, why or how? And I believe the reason he was able to do so is because he completely understood who God is. As a result of his understanding, it stirs him to praise God. In fact, it stirs him to proclaim God as almost high. That's a beautiful Hebrew term there. In, in the Hebrew, that, that word is Elion. Elion is a name that expresses the unshakable truth that God is supreme. God is above all else. God is superior. Which means everybody and everything is inferior in comparison to God. And so, God is greater than any of your troubles. God is greater than any problem you might face. 
God is greater than any enemy that might come up against you. God is greater than all things. And so David begins to, to recount. He, he's reflecting and he's remembering. And now he's recounting the wonderful deeds that were accomplished by God. And, and namely, he, he talks about the downfall of his enemies. Verse 3, he says, When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before you. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne judging righteously. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy has come to an end in perpetual ruins. And you have uprooted the cities. The very memory of them has perished. I want you to realize that that David's joy... The source of his joy was not in the victory that he had been given. No, it is the God that gave him the victory. It's in, it's in, the, it's, it's in the one who does all things, not in the things that were done by him. In other words, it's important for us to understand that yes, we're to testify to the wonderful things and the marvelous works of God, but we're to celebrate not the works, but God Himself. Right? So, so we don't worship the works. No, we worship the worker of those works. We worship God. And so that's the source of David's joy. Remembering how God worked in the past helps to produce strong faith in our lives in the present. And so picture the scene. David's enemies are in full pursuit of him. Their weapons are drawn. They are yelling at him. They are charging at him at full speed. Then suddenly, out of nowhere, God appears and steps in on the scene. And instantly, the enemies, they drop their weapons and they turn to escape. But rather than escaping, they're destroyed. They're destroyed and their names and their memories are erased forever. This is the scene that David is describing. May you know that the Lord's divine presence is the great defense for His people. And our awareness of the presence of God ought to ignite and infuse within us great courage and boldness as we seek to make a difference For the glory of God. You see, we can fulfill the Great Commission. We can go. We can proclaim. We can seek to make disciples of all people in all nations because we know with confidence that He is with us. He's with us. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to abandon us. He's never going to ignore us. He's never going to turn His back upon His children. No, He is with us. And so Scripture informs us of so many promises for the child of God that we would be wise to begin to remember these promises. So allow me to to share with you three promises. And hopefully they'll encourage you not just in this moment, but in the days and the year and the years to come. Promise number one is what we just saw. That God's promise, His steadfast presence in our lives. Other places in Scripture says things like in Hebrews chapter 
13, uh, we see these words. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I'll not be afraid. What will man do to me? We have nothing to fear. Because the Lord is with us. I should have put this one on the screen. I didn't, but I'll share it. There's also the beautiful promise given to us in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. It says that, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses unto the end of the age. To, from Jerusalem to Samaria to all places, all, there's everywhere. We, we receive the, the, the promise of the power of God in our lives. So not only do we have God's presence in our lives, He's not going to abandon us. He's not going to forsake us. He also promises us His power. We don't have to rely on our own strength. We can do what God's called us to do, basing that ability on the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, not anything that we're trying to manufacture on our own. So we have the promise of God's presence and we have the promise of God's power. Ephesians 3 says it like this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, for whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. Then it says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So in addition... To the promise of the presence of God, we have the promise of the power of God. We also have the promise of God's all-sufficient grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 9, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. That the power of Christ would dwell in me. We can boast in our weaknesses. But we have God's all-sufficient grace sustaining us. He's never going to leave us. His Spirit empowers us. And His grace is sufficient for us. So may you understand that there is a difference between what God has promised us and what God has not promised us. So remember, as a child of God, we have been promised His presence, His power, and His grace. We have not been promised that we will escape all the problems, all the pain, all the turmoil, all all the harshness of this world. No, in fact, actually, He has warned us the very opposite. He has told us in His Word that if you seek to live your life in accordance to His Word, being obedient to His will, then you can face, you can expect to face times of great hardship, times of suffering, 
times of pain, times of turmoil. John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19 says that the world hates you. You know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. In Matthew chapter 5, our Lord said, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so, we should rest in confidence, knowing that as God's children, we have the presence of God, the power of God, and the grace of God in our lives. Which means we can face anything with our eyes fixed upon our Lord. And in the midst of anything, we can burst forth with praise unto God. And so, going back to, to Psalm 9, in the next section, David is going to celebrate how the Lord's righteous rule actually provides security for His people. Look at verse 7. It says, But, but the Lord abides forever. He has established His throne for judgment. And He will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the people with equity. The Lord also will be a a stronghold for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. For those who know Your name will put their trust in You. For You, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek You. And as the leader of the nation... David now calls the people of Israel to to sing forth their praises unto God. In verse 11 it says, Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare among the people His deeds. For He who requires blood remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. That's a beautiful truth right there. God does not forget the cry of the afflicted. No matter how you may feel, the truth is, God does not forget. Here, David encourages the nation to sing their praises unto God, to trust God in and through everything. He's urging the people of God to make His praises known among the nations, among the whole world. You see, Jesus has already warned us that we can expect to face persecution and hardships. And the reality is, every day, every day, brothers and sisters in the Lord are laying down their lives for the name of our Savior. Every day. And their blood cries out unto God for justice tells us in Revelation chapter 6. Just listen as I, as I read this. Revelation 6 verses 9 through 11. It says, When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the Word of God 
and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So the voice of the martyrs are crying out in unison, How long? How long until you do something, God? Verse 11 says, And there was given to each of them a white robe. They were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. In other words, they're crying out, How long, God, until you do something? And God's saying, Just a little bit longer. There's other brothers and sisters who it has been appointed for them to also give their lives for the sake of Christ. And so when the last martyr has been slain, then Christ will return. That's how long. And when He returns, He'll he'll come back not only to avenge His people, but to destroy all those who have persecuted His church. Their eternal verdict will be pronounced at the great white throne judgment. All of their violent sins will be read before the Lord and they will be justly and appropriately sentenced. Their sentence will be eternal damnation in accordance to their deeds. The Word of God says in Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 through 15, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Look at a visual. A bunch of books and a single book. Opening up these bunch of books, right? It says that the dead, they were judged for the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Every one of them in accordance to what was written about them in those books. As then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Then verse 15 beautifully says, And if anyone's name was not found written... In that other book, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life, they were thrown into the lake of fire. You understand that in seven places in the New Testament, believers are identified as having their names recorded in the book of life. We just read two of them. For those that are interested, I'll give the the rest to you. You'll find it in Revelation 3, verse 5. uh, Revelation 13, verse 8. uh, 17, verse number 8. And then what we just read in here, uh, Revelation 20, verse 12, and verse number 15. You'll see it again in Revelation 21, 
verse 27. And then you'll find it in the book of Philippians. Philippians 4, verse number 3. The book of life. Wow. Here's the beautiful reality about that book. God is an immaculate record keeper. And he knows his own. And he has set the names of his children. He has permanently affixed them within the book of life. You repent and believe. Your name will be found in that book. Your reward will be based not upon your works. Your reward will be based upon what Jesus Christ accomplished on your behalf. Let's get back to Psalm 9. Psalm 9, David's going to transition from uh, declaring God's praise to delivering his petition to the Lord. And here he asks God to give consideration and, and to help him as he's facing these threats from his enemies. In verse number 13, it says, Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me, you who lifted me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of your praises, that, I, that in the gates of your daughter of Zion, I may rejoice in your salvation. So David's asking the Lord for mercy. He wants God to, to step in and to help him. In danger of dying, David calls upon God to rescue him from the very gates of death. And if he's delivered, then he's going to go from one gate to another. He's going to go from the gates of death to the gates of the daughter of Zion. In other words, he's going to go from almost dying to, he, to now he's going to go to the tabernacle in Jerusalem to declare the glory and the greatness of God. David realizes with sober reality that if he dies, if he is to pass through the, the gates of death and enter into death, then he would never have the opportunity to bear witness for the Lord again. And think back a, a, a few uh, Sundays ago in, in Psalm chapter 6, verse number 5, David said, For there is no mention of you in death. In Sheol, who will give you thanks? David wants to live. David wants God to prolong his life so that he can praise God and bear witness to the glory and the greatness of our Heavenly Father. That's a wonderful marching order. That's a wonderful purpose and focus for one to have in their lives. And quite honestly, that should be all of our focuses. We should all be singularly focused on glorifying God and seeking to make His glory known among the nations. So after petitioning God to intervene in his current crisis, David returns to praising the unchanging character of our Lord. And in these next four verses, uh, four facts stand out. Let me just read them real fast. Fact number one, uh, the fact is that uh, the nations will reap what they sow. Look at verse 15. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they have made, and the net which they hid, their own foot has been caught. So the nations are going to reap what they sow eventually on God's timetable, not upon ours. Fact number two, people will come to know the Lord through God's acts of justice. In verse 16 it says, the Lord has made himself known. 
He has executed judgment. In the works of his hands, the wicked is snared. And then it says, again, Selah. I'll come back to those two words in a moment. Fact number three, the destiny of the wicked is death. More specifically, condemnation in hell. It says in verse number 17, the wicked will return to Sheol, even all the nations who forgot God. And in fact, four, God will not forget the needy or the afflicted. Verse 18 says, for the needy will not always be forgotten, nor the hope of the afflicted perish forever. In other words, judgment, judgment will come. It might not come in our lifetime, right? It might not come on our time schedule, but judgment is coming. And so notice those, those two words at the end of verse number 16. I want to come back to those. We see the word Hagion and, and Selah. Now Selah we've mentioned before. Selah is an instruction for, for a, pause, uh, a pause for reflection or, or meditation. But now we have this new word, Hagion. This is also an instruction. This is an instruction that signals a sober instrumental interlude. This would be, in the, in the music world, this would be, uh, now this, this, this song is being played in, in the minor key, right? It's, it's sober, right? You're pausing and, and you're reflecting and what a wonderful place this is for a pause. We would be wise to stop and to contemplate the, the certainty and the seriousness of God's judgments. God never turns His back on sin. His, his righteous character does not allow Him to overlook sin. His justice requires a price to be paid. And those who reject the sacrifice of our Lord will suffer the full punishment of their sins. Because He is just, God will condemn them to the full sentence that their sin deserves. And so while God's redemption is available to all, it is only effective for those who repent and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their lives. There's no other way. You see, we seldom talk in church, we seldom talk about the judgment and the justice of God. And perhaps we would be wise to remember all of the attributes of our Heavenly Father. Maybe if we would remember these attributes as well as the attributes of His love and His mercy and His grace. If we remember the attributes of His wrath and His justice, then perhaps the next time we're tempted with sin, that we would selah. We would pause. We would reflect. And we would remember that God is faithful and God will always respond to sin. David wraps up this psalm with the declaration, Arise, O Lord, 
Do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. The day is coming when our Heavenly Father will put the wicked in their rightful place. When He does, they will discover that they're nothing in comparison to God. He will break their arrogance. He will smash their pride. He will crush self-righteousness. And when God responds, all people will know that we are just men in comparison to our great God. And no matter what you're facing, no matter how hard or difficult your day is today or how hard or difficult it may be, if you belong to Him through faith in Jesus Christ, then you have the assurance that God is never going to leave you. Your friends and your family, yeah, they may abandon you, but God won't. He will always be with you. His power will sustain you. His Spirit will enable you. His grace will be sufficient for you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love, for your faithfulness, the promises that you provide unto us. God, I pray that we would be rightful in our reflection in this moment. God, there, there, every time we get to this point in the service, there is a battle that occurs. God, I pray that we would no longer engage in this battle, but that we would lay down our pride and that we would rightfully respond to your word and to our hearts and lives. God, help us to confess and repent from sins. Help us to make decisions and commitments that would honor and glorify you. God, don't allow us to leave this place in the same way in which we came. God, may we humbly allow your word to transform our hearts and lives. And with renewed commitment, excitement, and enthusiasm, may we leave this place fully prepared and willing to honor and to glorify you in all the things that we do and in all the things that we say. God, may you be honored and may you be pleased in this time of response. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.